Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, today's first guest became the youngest CMO of a Fortune 500 company during his tenure at Deloitte. He is a true thought leader whose mission is to help transform the world through relational and collaborative sciences. I met him a number of years ago. He's always been a great friend. He's always been very insightful, and you're going to love his brand new book, Leading Without Authority. You know, he has a bestseller out called Never Eat Alone, and this one's a bestseller. You've got to get this book, and we'll talk about it in this episode, as you'll hear. Keith Brazzi is the founder and chairman of Brazzi Greenlight and its research institute, and he's going to help business leaders transform their teams in this new wide world of work. Keith, welcome to All Business. Brother, you are contagious. You're just you're just <laughs> on fire and contagious. I'm glad to be here. Well, you gotta have fun, right? If you're not having fun, even during the darkest times. I mean, you you I had a guest on yesterday who talked about you can choose to have the things control you, or you can control the things you can control. And I'm I'm all about controlling the things I control. And if I can't control them, the hell with it. Stop worrying yeah, about it. There's also a lot about making sure that you have found your sweet spot and you clearly yeah. have. You have found a place where you just, you really you really thrive. And it's a real okay. interface of business excellence, uh, you know, the the media, your charisma. I mean, it's this is a good spot for you. Very excited for you, brother. Well, thank you. I if you remember, I met you at a I met you at a seminar group or workshop for CMOs and marketing yeah. people in Florida, outside yeah. of Naples. We were outside of Naples. And we were both speaking and keynoting at the event. And then that night, I flew up to D.C. and went to uh, Obama's Obama's inauguration. That's, yeah. I remember that. It was at yeah. the, the end of my term at Kodak. And, and you gave me one of the best pieces of advice. I called you up after you'd left as a CMO. And I said, hey, Keith, I'm going to leave as a CMO. What advice do you have for me as, a, as someone who's leaving and going out on my own? Because I picked up the phone and called a bunch of people. Do you remember what you said to me? Well, I know what I would tell somebody today, which is you've been an extraordinary marketer all of your life. Now it's time to make sure that, that you're marketing and putting enough attention on the brand of you. And yeah. you know, that is what you have done so, so beautifully. I think it's fantastic. Well, thank you. And, 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 and you were part of that helping me, but I'll give you the exact words. One of the things you said, it was the biggest keeper I remember. He says, you said, hang on to the title for as long as you can. Yeah. Because because once you're out of that C-suite and you're out of that office, you're out on your own, you know, you can have that for a while, but, but after a bit, they don't give a crap. They just forget no. you. No. Yeah, you're let's, let's get into helping your people here. Exactly. So you've been doing this and the way that we've been working is shifting along before COVID came along. And, but after this, it's changing again. How are you teaching teams to adapt to the new world of work? So let me start by setting a North Star. If there's any entrepreneur, any CEO sitting out there, any team leader, the North Star of where you need to be thinking right now is you need to be asking yourself, how am I finding unexpected growth opportunities? That's number one. How am I finding unexpected growth? Number two, how am I bulletproofing and, and trying to find unsuspected risk? Now, to do those two things, to be constantly, I call it radically adaptable, right? You've got to be, you've got to have a Peter Diamandis 
Diamandis mindset of transformation and exponentialism, you are not allowed to think about business as usual right now because business is not usual. By the way, business never is usual. If you're never is right. right. It never is. There's no normal. (laughs) What's been great about this crisis, aside from all of the, the pain and the suffering and the death and the loss, what's been great about this, this crisis is that we have been working on weekly agile sprints because mm-hmm. we have no idea at the end of a week what's going to what's out there. Be, yeah. And we've had to be adaptable to the market, adaptable to our customers, adaptable to whether our solutions are still valid, et cetera. So radical adaptability is something you've gotten a taste of. Don't let go of that. That's number one. Number two is the way in which your energy sustains its ability to adapt to the market, to have radical adaptability, to have that kind of transformational thinking is a word that I have been studying for 10 years, and it's, it's coming out in this book, Leading Without Authority, which people can go on and get right now. Um, and it's called co-elevation. Yeah. As a team leader, the biggest shift that you have to start to make is stop being the hub and spoke. Stop being the individual in between everything that goes on. You need to begin to open up your team to be in service of each other. Value creation isn't just each member doing their job and you directing them. Value creation comes. Well, I was working with um, Dun & Bradstreet with Bob Kerrigan, who's now the CEO over, over at Audible when he was CEO of Dun & Bradstreet. You know, this was an old guard company. When he came in, he had to reinvent the product and solution. But in the past, the product and solution was data and product and technology, and sales, and marketing. And the reality was that they had to wrestle the new solution together. They had to co-create. They had to bring in external expertise. I call it teaming out. And that, that mosh pit, right, of creation and innovation is not how most teams are organized. You've got to start leading differently in a co-elevating fashion where the team is committed to a mission and each other to achieve it. And there's a lot, and there's eight elements of it. And we can go into those here. Well, yeah, I would like to know some of the steps because I just had this conversation because I'm doing this now as well, big time. Like everyone thinks I got to be in the middle of every decision, everything, colors, it don't make a difference, whatever it is. And I keep saying no. In fact, this morning I had two employees on the phone to talk about product management. And I said, Amanda, meet Mark, Mark, meet Amanda. Well, they knew each other, but I, I'm trying to get out of the middle of that. How, how does a leader get out of the middle of that to allow that to happen? Yeah. So it's a three-step process. And first of all, Jeff, you have to, you, you and I are both the same kind of animal. We both yeah. have to admit that we're creating the suffering we're living in. Oh, right? to, I totally agree. Totally agree. So all of you out there who are sitting and saying, I wish my team could step up. I wish my team, blah, blah, blah. Bullshit. It's you. It's you. It's yeah. you. It's you. It's me. It's me. It's me. It's Jeff. It's yeah. Jeff. Jeff. Right. Yeah. So once we get to that, now the question is, what do we control? What do we control? We control the curation of our agendas. And I, I go very narrow. I've been coaching the transformation of executive teams since uh, since 2000, since I started this business. Mm-hmm. And what what we want to look at is, I want you to start to present a used to be a monthly meeting. I think now it's a weekly meeting almost. It's a weekly staff meeting, and that staff meeting's intention is twofold. One is to find the unexpected growth, decrease the unsuspected risk, right? And the meeting is to coach your team into a new set of behaviors, which includes you. So on a weekly basis or on a monthly basis, if you actually have the luxury of that, then I want you to have at least a three-hour meeting, a one- to three-hour meeting, 
Later, it can be one. Right now, it needs to be three. And I want you to recontract a new set of social norms among your team. Recontract a new set of social norms among your team. So, Jeff, the, the, the point was, here you were trying to coach in a moment a social norm, right? Yeah. But then we fall back on the same old bullshit that same we old doing stuff. that reconditions right. the old social norms. Yeah. So I'll give you a couple of for instances. Report outs, report outs by themselves actually reinforce you as the hub and spoke of everything. So yeah. if you're sitting there and watching everybody do a report out and you're commenting on the report out and the conversation is between you and the person and maybe one other person every once in a while, you have now conditioned this team to put you at the center of everything. Mm-hmm. There's two things you can begin to do in a meeting that shift from report outs to real collaborative value creation among your team. And one of them is what I call a collaborative problem solving session, where you identify some issues, some problems that you think are important to the business. And they're like literally just now I was on the, the, the phone with a CEO who had um, you know, was really thinking about this going back to work question, right? In terms of what's the timing, what does it look like, et cetera. I said, listen, let's zero base this. Let's go from a, we're not ever going back to work. We're going to get rid of our headquarters. Nobody, only the necessary people will ever go back to work. Let's start with the zero base, right? With the zero base, now ask the the team the question. And this is called a, I call it a CPS question, collaborative problem solving question. What are the things that would suffer if we were fully remote? Right? Mm. Ask that question. It's a big question. What are the things that would suffer if we're fully remote? Take your team. I don't care if it's, it's four people, break them down into groups of two. I don't, if it's six people, break them down into groups of three. Ideally, if it's 15 people, break them down into groups of three. Three is a magical number. It, then what you do is, particularly if you're at Zoom or Microsoft Teams, you literally push a button, yeah. right? pose the question. Everybody goes into small groups like that. It's the easiest thing in the world. Now, what do you have in the small group? What you have in the small group is psychological safety. What you have in the small group is, is introverts having a chance to have a voice right? What you have in the small group is, is the willingness to speak truth. And there's more candor in that small group than there will be in the big room. Now, in the small group, they opine on the question. You can give them five minutes. You can give them 30 minutes. Whatever you think is the importance of the question, whatever the question happens to be. In that small group, they discuss it. Then, they come, then you push a button and they come back in. Now you're sitting there and now you have the entire team's innovation engaged. The one of the things you can do in this situation is I'm starting to coach teams in what I call teaming out. I've recently started, uh, my team's going to start working with a, um, uh, a, a real estate company, a construction company in Michigan. And what's great, by the way, what's great about this is our coaches that have been doing this kind of stuff for, you know, some of the largest organizations in the world can now be available to any companies in the world quickly and easily yeah. On this remote basis, we don't have to fly around. Right. We don't have to fly around as much. Hey, let me just let me come right back to this. I need to take a quick break because I need to fly around and talk to my uh, my uh, great sponsors. You got it. We'll be right back after this. C Suite Radio. Hey, thanks. We're back. We're live on LinkedIn and Facebook as we're doing an episode of C-Suite Radio called All Business with Jeffrey Azad. I'm talking with Keith Ferrazzi, the founder and chairman of Ferrazzi Greenlight. We've been talking about some of the principles out of his book, Leading with Authority. You need to rush out. You need to get this. I'm going to get it. I need to send this out to a bunch of my, my not only my team, all right, I'm going to do that, but I need to get this out to a bunch of uh, some great, great CEOs who I know who are trying to deal with 
hey, how do we live in this new world of work? How to do it, what to do it, how to get the teams going. How, by the way, and we were talking about how to get the hell out of your own way and get your teams more empowered to really do what they're supposed to be doing. What's another step that I can take, Keith, to do this right? Because I, you know, no one wants to do it wrong. We always want to do it right. Yeah. Well, let me let me give you a framework. And then the good yeah. news is we have I'm I'm look, I'm a thought leader in this space, I'm a coach in this space, but I also believe strongly that this is a movement of opportunity. At a point in time, we could transform the world if we get this right today. So I've got a lot of free resources for you. Go to virtual teams with with yeah. uh, virtualteamswin.com. Virtualteamswin.com. There's a, there's in a resource center, there's tons of articles. I did $2 million worth of research funded by Cisco and Accenture starting in 2012. I've been thinking about this for four years and we published 20 studies in HBR that are all on that site. I've got a a ton of long form webinars for you. We're doing new things there all the time. So I want you to be able to go there and get all the resources you need to start working with your team differently. One of the things that's there is something that I call a recontract a recontract. It's the first thing that I want you as a leader to do with your team. I want you to sit down with your team. There are eight areas of team performance that you need to reboot in this new remote world. We were just talking about one of them, which is collaboration and using each other to create value from the team. Our diagnostic tool shows that 71% of teams do not believe they get value from their team members. Mm. Soak that in. Yeah. 71% of teams do not believe they get value from their team members. Another area is called candor. 74% of teams do not believe that they can speak openly in the room and challenge each other. Wow. Now ask yourself what kind of shareholder value is being eroded. We've got this awesome diagnostic tool, and I've given you a light version of it for free at virtualteamswin.com. You, you go there you and that, you recontract you with your yeah, Keith, that's all. these are awesome. And virtualteamswin.com. Don't forget about that. Leading without authority. Talking with Keith Frazzi, founder and chairman of the Frazzi Greenlight. Do you, do you think that candor is in the C-suite as it, or is lacking in the C-suite in the same way it's lacking in the teams? These are these are all C-suite. All yeah. Oh, all these are all, no, no. These are all C-suite. When I say yeah, C-suite, I it's, it's entrepreneurs, yeah. major organizations. And what's yeah. very what's very scary to me, now look, what it isn't, by the way, is it's yeah. it's not three founders mostly. Right? If it if you're sitting there and you're three founders and you're trying to figure out how to start getting paid because you're not getting paid yet, right? And you're figuring out the business, you speak your mind. Yeah. Right. You hold yeah. each other accountable. Yeah. But what I found, Jeff, and you know this, I have started to work with unicorn companies that as soon as they start to ramp up in their scale, yeah. what do they do? They stupidly go hire the head of HR from a fortune 500 to help them figure out scale and they ruin everything that they had. Right. Yeah. They, and, they're putting in the old systems, the old ways, the tried and true or what in a, we, in a where in a world is there, there are new work rules in a new work world, right? New yeah. work rules for a new work world. And we're never in a new work world than we are today. I, one of the things I, I think I want to just implore all of you, because we're not going to get through all of this stuff today, but yeah. I employ all of you to just make a commitment for yourself to not go back to work. And I know that we're talking about this all the time, and I know that's the basis of the show, but I don't want you to go back to work. I want you to go forward to work. And I want you to make a commitment today to reinvent yourself 
today while you can. Because if you slip back in, your competition, some portion of them will not have slipped back in. Some portion Amen. of them will reduce their overhead by 30% because they've gone to a predominantly remote footprint and they've never lost a beat of productivity because they've implemented agile processes. They've become more operationally excellent because they're starting to use the tools of communications and program management and you're not, right? So if you don't today reboot, recontract, awaken yourselves in your teams and then double down and start practicing this shit on a, on a weekly basis, you need to start practicing it because this is not a leadership offsite. This isn't you just going offsite and saying, oh, these are our values. Bullshit. This is about you doing something different every week until you start to create an entirely new muscle memory. You know, and, I, and, and the reason why you can do that, because you can. You can, if you want to, just make it happen. Just, I mean, we're, everyone's talking about pivoting and so forth. I, it's, I love your term, radically adaptable, because that is truly what you need to be doing. I, I've always said change, adapt, or die, okay? Couldn't be more apropos here right now. And when we saw this thing coming, man, I said, we've got to do some things differently. We jumped on it. When everybody else was setting back, we said, no, let's run into the fire as fast as you possibly can. What can we do differently? Some things we did better. Some things we did worse. Some things we overdid. But you know what? We did them. And we figure, we're figuing out. And as a result, we're getting better. Now, my number one thing, Keith, I got to tell you, it's this, how do I help my team, you know, be... I love this thing about leading without authority because they'll say, oh, it's not in the budget or this or this or this. Give me all these reasons when I'm just going like, do it. Just go do it, right? Well, look, you're an entrepreneur and of course you do it. And you've always have. I mean, my old man was an unemployed steel worker from Pittsburgh and I've done pretty well for myself. If I didn't have a philosophy of just doing it, that wouldn't have happened. So, but that's in our DNA. That's in our momentum, right? Right. Our momentum is that. You need to have patience to coach them into a new momentum. So there's a, wonderful, there's a wonderful phrase, which I love, which is so true of all of us as leaders. You need to not tell your people to think their way into a new way of acting. They need to act their way into a new way of thinking, yeah. Yeah. right? And, and with that, you've got to have the patience to coach. Now, I know many of you don't, which is why you either hire outsiders like me or you you actually start using process. Process is its own coach. If you put boundaries on people's behavior through process, if you change the way your staff meeting works, which is the way we, we basically said, listen, I can change your people's behavior by changing the organization of the staff meeting. That's what I've done. It's a thing you do anyway. I'm not asking for more time. It's business problems you're focused on anyway, right? I'm not asking for more time. But now we're going to change the behaviors underneath the staff meeting. And by the way, Jeff, I would be happy to to, uh, we have this reboot, this three hour reboot. I'd be happy to do it with your team. Done, done. Yeah. Oh yeah, baby. I love team. it. I love it. Yeah. I know, I know the value we're getting. I, and thank you for that because I also know the kind of money you charge for those things. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll do some extra scotch or whatever. Well, by the way, the money has gotten a lot less expensive in this environment. It, and you know money, what? It, which that's is okay. It, I used okay. to charge, look, I used to charge 60 K for those yeah. one day, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, my team is charging 8K, yeah. 8K for a reboot. Why? Because we can, I'm not jumping on a plane. I can, I've got four of these scheduled today. Right. right? Exactly. And so, you know, all over the world. And right. so it's so easy 
for us to redefine the business model and bring things to scale to the and market. And the more reboots you do, the more clients you're going to pick up the way it is. And it's about it's about inventory. I talk to speakers about this all the time. I said, they're saying, well, I, I don't want to knock my feet down. I'm going, what? What do you have? You, what are you booked? You, you have all that time booked? Are you kidding me? Another, there's another pony in there. If you get in front of the audience, there's another pony in there. Let me ask you this question. Every company, Keith, there's a hierarchy of some kind. What do you say to people about taking a leadership role, even when it's not part of their official title or job description? I love this question. Yeah. So there's two audiences of leading without authority. One audience is for the kid that was at Deloitte, who, when he was 24 years old, I'm now telling a story about myself. When he was 24 years old, asked the CEO, what do you want your legacy to be, sir? Was that a cocktail party? Like one of those thousand person cocktail party, the CEO yeah. swings in, gives a talk, talks a little bit to people who has enough guts to come up and talk to him. And then he leaves, right? In that moment, I asked him, what do you want your legacy to be, sir? And he said, well, I'd want someday for Deloitte to be at par with Accenture, which was Anderson Consulting at the time, Accenture and McKinsey. And I thank you. And he, he never thought he'd see me again. And he didn't remember even in having that dialogue. I went back to Harvard Business School. I was a, I was a summer associate. Went back to Harvard Business School. I said to one of my professors, I would like to do a course, a specialized course on looking at professional services marketing. I said, what I want to do, sir, is I want to take your course, but my project will be interviewing all the chief marketing officers of the big professional services firm, McKinsey, Accenture, et cetera, defining what the future of marketing looks like. Right. And I did. And I, by the way, I even called him and I said, Hey guys, I'm working for Deloitte as a summer intern. And I've noticed that it's the lowest of the low, et cetera. I'm really curious about professional services marketing. I reached out to Jim Mattisoni of, of um, McKinsey, et cetera. And I'm fully transparent. And I said, I'm going to send around to all of you what my findings are. So I'm fully transparent. I did all of that. I put it on a bow. I sent it to Pat Laconto. He didn't remember meeting me, but he gets this yeah. book, which is a playbook for reinventing professional services marketing which never happened before. Right. He calls me, he was like, what the, what the, like, yeah. guess what? 29 years old, I became chief marketing officer of Deloitte. Right. Yeah. Right. That's leading without authority. Now, what is, now that was in me. How do you as a leader create that in your organization? First thing you need to do. How do you do make that a virus? How do you make that a virus? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's you and I caught it, but yeah. the, the way you make it a virus is you started your executive team and make them the, re, the realization that this is the second piece of the book. You will never be extraordinary within the boundaries of the resources you control. Mm. You will never. And by the way, that's true of Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff is borrowing resources from me, from everybody. Hijacking. Right? I'm hi I call it hijacking. I'm hijacking, hijacking. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and I want your people to realize that you need to let them know that they will never be extraordinary by playing in their own sandboxes. They have to realize that the world of work, the org design of work, is having a mission and a network. That's the new org design of work. And that's what the first chapter of this book teaches you that the redesign of work is a mission and a network. Now, I, and, you, and there's a process to that. And I bring the process in your strategic plan in meeting two, in meeting one, you're figuring out what your growth targets are. What are the innovative ideas you're going to pick? In meeting two, you start doing a wrap, a relationship action plan. For each one, each team member has to figure out who's their team. That's the second chapter of this book called Who's Your Team? Who's Your yeah. Team usually makes people think it's the people that report to you. Bullshit. It's the people you need to be extraordinary. 
Well, Keith, are, I think yeah. my word for this interview is extraordinary. We're going to have to have you back. Hey, for my producers, listen, let's make sure that we get Keith. We've got to get him on bestseller TV because this book's a bestseller. Let's get him scheduled for an episode of bestseller TV so we can get that out. Hey, by the way, if you've never read Keith, I think your first book was Never Eat Alone was your very first book. And then Keith has hosted hosted many curated dinners with some of the greatest leaders in the world, business leaders. I've been part of those and I'm so so glad to have you. We're talking with Keith Ferrazzi, the, lead, uh, the author of Leading Without Authority. It's a bestseller. You need to get it. He's the founder and chairman of Ferrazzi Greenlight. Keith, thanks so much for being on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Thank you, Jeff. You're amazing. All right. At the end of every episode, I'd like to talk about uh, the things that I learned. And of course, don't forget virtualteamswin.com. And before I talk about Keith, I got a great guest coming up right after this. So tune in all about meetings and the convention world and hospitality. You don't want to miss it. So, but I tell you with Keith, I got to tell you radically available. I love that. But you know, when the one thing that really stuck out for me was what's your North Star? What's your North Star? And I thought that was a really insightful thing. And boy, you've got to go out and get this book and, and remember remember some, some really good gems on how to do it right and the ways in which you want to do it. That's what I learned right here. My next guest currently serves as president and CEO of Meeting Planners International, known as MPI for the industry. It's an organization with about 17,000 members worldwide whose mission is to connect the global meeting and event community to learn, innovate, collaborate, and advocate. Well, the meeting industry, as you know, has seen a massive shift in recent week with events being canceled, postponed, transformed. So how has the industry adopted what's coming down the pike? That's what we talk about in this portion of the episode. How will the industry reboot itself and what opportunities will come from that activity? Please welcome Paul Van Dieter to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thank you, Jeffrey. It's good to meet you and good to be on your show. Well, good to good to be you. Thanks for all you do for meetings because, hey, listen, I do over 100 meetings a year just for C-suite. I, I keynote 160 times a year as well. Wow. So, yeah, it's a lot. So uh, without meetings, I would not exist. So I thank you for all you do for this industry. Well, thank you. And, um, I, and I'm very proud of being the CEO of Meeting Professionals International, but I actually play a little broader role right now. I'm, I'm the volunteer chair of a group called the Event Industry Council. Oh, the Event sure. Industry Council is made up of 33 organizations like MPI that all impact the global event industry from around the world. So we have over 100,000 members associated with that group. And, um, you know, the meeting industry, business events is one of these industries that has been hidden for years. People just don't understand the economic, the innovative, the creative impact of this industry. Uh, but if you look at it by itself, it's it's a trillion dollar industry uh, oh, yeah. employing 20 million plus people around the world. And uh, it's got an incredibly deep, rich impact. Um, one of the things maybe coming out of this from a benefit side that we're seeing out of the COVID is the rest of the world is re recognizing the um, the importance of this industry, the importance of getting together live, the importance of interacting. And while a interface like this is interesting, it's valuable, um, you lose something. You don't have that right. personal touch that people crave. And our our real, uh, our genes, our genetics make up a, a real perspective of we 
need to have human interaction to be successful as a society and in life. Well, without question, you know, when I was the chief marketing officer at Kodak, I spent millions and millions and millions of dollars on meetings. I mean, without question, it's a big part of what we did in terms of meetings, whether they were at, you know, expos, conventions, meetings, customer events, but, but they were always what I would call closing events. That's what I always try to make them to be. It was about people discovering what we did and show, showing value depending on what it was, but it was also about closing right. business. And I think right. with the digital side, it's interesting, but you can't close like you used to, right? You know, and that's a that's an issue with me. So let's talk a little bit about the elephant in the room. You know, we know it's impacted the industry, but it's also opened up a whole nother realm, I think, with the digital side at least, and people trying to reinvent. They, I know that people have been trying to reinvent expos and trade shows online. Uh, but what do you what do you think is going to be the good and the bad and the ugly of this? Well, I, I think the um, the good couple of things you know I already pointed out. I think people recognize the importance of face to face interaction, um, yeah. the the need and the value and the productivity of that face to face. So that that's a positive. Um, we've seen out of nine one one. We've seen out of the Great Recession in two thousand eight efforts to go to a completely digital meeting interface, and the the perspectives while you're in the heat of those moments, just like we're in the heat of this moment, is we can do away with face to face. We can replace it with some alternative means. I, I think the reality of looking back at those situations is uh, you still need that face-to-face at some point. And what we've learned from those experiences, as well as with the, the birth and explosion of social media, is they the digital experience, the virtual experience, some people call it, do not replace the true live experience. They actually can enhance it. And I think that's what we're going to see out of this, that this type of interface, this type of digital experience will enable more meetings. It'll encourage more meetings but it also can now start to get integrated into the live experience. And you can have a much richer experience. You can bring in people in a better way that may not have been able to attend before. You can get to your attendee before and post in ways that can extend the impact of that meeting. So you may have been in that closing mode as a business conference. Um, Someone else is using that conference as an educational opportunity. Associations are really the adult education stream of, of our society. Uh, they can now increase the value of that education by having pre-education and post-education in the digital environment. So I, I see it as coming together into a really uh, synergistic value of leveraging digital while still having the live event experience. Yeah, because and by the way, we're going to go back to a great deal of that. It'll just I think there's going to be some changes. What resources has MPI deployed to assist the community and its members during this time? Because I got to imagine some of them are heavily impacted, and you know, not all of them, but mo- a good number of them are heavily impacted. What are you doing? I know I hear this event industry council. I, that's is that brand new? Nope. The, it it was formerly called new? the CIC. It was, it was, it's been around for over 50 years as the Convention Industry Council. It rebranded itself three years ago, the Event Industry Council. Um, so it's been there for a long time. Uh, you know, if you look at 
the, the obviously the entire world's been impacted. Economies are crushed globally. I just right. heard this morning we're you know, waiting on the new unemployment in the U.S., but they're expecting it to be somewhere between 19 and 25 uh, percent. That that's just horrific. The hospitality industry is probably the most impacted of those industries. Um, yeah, from from the restaurants to the to the theaters to live events, we we've been crushed, and business events will be um, uh, at the forefront of that job loss and furloughed perspective. When you when you think about the business event ecosystem, it's it's hoteliers, it's venues, uh, your big convention centers and arenas. It is the convention and visitor bureaus to do the marketing and promotion. Um, they have furloughed or laid off uh, some of them 80, 90% of their teams and staff in the interim. So it's had a dramatic and traumatic effect on our industry. So whether it's our co-members of the Event Industry Council or MPI, we are putting first and foremost the membership, what we could do for them to help them through this. Uh, And then I think the second thing that we're all worried about or looking at is associations are going to help bring us out of this. They're going to help our members recover from this. So we have to make sure we're doing the right things to keep our associations around two, three, four years from now. So we can continue to support people. So we're looking at cash management, uh, liquidity, like any company is doing. A not-for-profit is just a tech status. We're still a business. So we have to think about how we keep ourselves in business while we serve the constituency we're in place for. And so providing resources around how do you respond um, to COVID situations that directly affect an event planner? Um, you know, the, the looking at renegotiating contracts, looking at re-educating their staffs to understand how to, how to communicate a digital environment and create a digital meeting. Um, looking at maybe perhaps retraining themselves because their current job might not be around for another couple of years. It, it got eliminated and it won't be coming right back. So how do we reposition ourselves? That's what we're doing as associations and MPI, helping that community, whether direct members or the broad community of professionals in the live event industry, get through this by giving them the day-to-day resources they need while trying to ensure those associations stick around for the future so their colleagues can also benefit from it. Well, positive stuff. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after this. C-Suite Radio. Hey, thanks for coming back. We're live casting on LinkedIn and Facebook as we lay down a recording of all business with Jeffrey Hazlett right here on C-Suite Radio. You know, before um, our guest started, I talked about C-Suite Supplies. As you start to open up for business, don't forget, we've set up a trusted source for you to be able to get those supplies that you're going to need, mask gowns, uh, shoe coverings, sanitizer, everything, because it's uh, an industry that's been, quite frankly, fraud- uh, are populated with a lot of fraud. And so we wanted to make sure all 350,000 of our C-suite executive members and anyone else that wants it, go to csuitesupplies.com, c-suitesupplies.com, and you can get all of those PPE things for you to get back to work and open for business. Hey, Paul, I read about your big event in November, the World Education Congress. Your message is reconnect, restore, and restart, similar to what I refer to as business first responders, because I think yeah. all of us are business first responders. You, me, you know, because we, when everybody else was reeling, we're going, nope, we got to run into the fire. We got to get something done with this. Tell me about this initiative that you got going on in November. 
Well, we, we have a, uh, an annual Congress um, that brings together uh, somewhere around 3,000 meeting professionals every year. And it was originally scheduled for June. Our, our hope and intent as we got into this crisis in February, March, was that we can continue on with that effort. Uh, clearly, with today's conditions and, and market, um, we couldn't do that. Uh, we're now relaunching it into early November. Um, under the, the banner of Reunite for Recovery. Uh, how hmm. do we get our industry together and prepared to do all the things we've begun talking about here today? Um, establish uh, really powerful live events, business events, uh, association events, um, corporate events, bring together those professionals who are actually to learn how to operate in a new environment. And really importantly, Jeffrey, it's helped them connect again with each other. Um, our yeah. industry, like all others, we are craving that social connection right now. Right. Business events is part of hospitality. Hospitality people are in the industry because we're hospitable. Uh, we like to be around each other. <laughs> right. We're missing it, right? So right. we think this may be the first big event in our industry that's going to go on this year. And so we're really seeing it as a platform to enable people to get together, commiserate, and learn about how to operate in this new norm, this new environment. But we're also now taking advantage of this digital experience so many people have been through, the, the use of tools like Microsoft and Zoom and GoToMeetings um, and looking at creating a parallel conference, not a streaming of our conference, which has been the historical virtual meeting or um, the historical right. practice in the past of, we just put a camera up, we, we stream Jeffrey's keynote and people can watch it online. We're not gonna create a parallel experience. So the people at home, we'll have a whole different set of content, interaction, engagement, with some connection back to the live conference. Maybe it is, we use some general session content, but it's a side-by-side, -side, two events at once, with really bringing the value to our community and helping them engage, socialize, connect, while they learn. It's doing some of those breakout rooms or what would be a workshopping and those kind of things. I, I'm watching the National Speaker Association actually try to do, they're going to try to do that in coming up in, in August. And yes. uh, I thought that was very innovative. I think that's what you're talking about is innovative. And they're actually doing a bunch of lead up events to the event itself too, which is kind of cool. Yeah, we're, we're, we'll be doing the same thing, lead up and then post follow up uh, to connect it all. And looking at it, we, we had... Uh, a great experience. We have a, we launched an initiative five years ago called Global Meetings Industry Day. Um, and that was to bring attention to our industry. And we get people around the world to host events, to engage their communities, politicians, educational institutions to talk about our industry. Well, this year we had to cancel it, the live event. So we did a virtual event instead. And MPI ended up with 13,000 people dialing in online, connecting for 12 hours, throughout the day, starting in Europe, then across the pond to the US. Average person was online for six and a half hours. All breakout rooms, wow. great dialogue, chat rooms. The you, you could see there's a thirst for that connection and we're learning how to do that. And we're gonna do it and learn better and better. So when we come to November, you're gonna have that great rich environment of online and in-person connecting together. And, and we really think it's gonna be a great value to our community. 
I think it will be. And we're, we're seeing that with all the things we're doing in the C-suite network. We're doing all these huddles, daily meetings, in many cases, more than one a day. We're with our membership and group. And then we planned a big conference, our battleship conference. We got one coming up in June called High Stakes. Uh, we were hoping to hold that in Las Vegas at the MGM. Uh, but yeah. instead, we're going to bring the CEO of MGM online. We're going to do it online. Right. We're going to have breakout rooms. I've got the the CMO of party, CMO party city. So we're going to have a party online. We're going to do some different things. We're innovate in different ways, uh, utilizing some new techniques. Hey, we want to take a quick break and we'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back. And I'm talking to Paul Vandevetter, who is the president and CEO of Meeting Professionals International, known as MPI. We're talking about the future of the meeting industry as we do a live cast right here on LinkedIn and Facebook. And of course, we're recording for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on the world's largest business podcast network, C-Suite Radio. So let me ask you this question. After we reopen, we use that word reopen, right? You know, because yeah. I think we've all been open the whole time. It's just a different kind of way of doing it. How are you going to ensure your members and attendees it's safe to go back and have those in-person events, you know, what's your plan? Are you going to be handing everybody out masks? Can we be more sanitized? I mean, what, what are the things we're going to start to do? Is that, is the elbow bump going to stay? Is that going to catch on? The double elbow. <laughs> the double elbow. <laughs> yeah. If it's a close friend. Yeah. But you know, our most valuable assets are our people and our customers without question. Right. Well, and we all want to do everything safe. I, I, I can't wait to rush back to, speak on stage again. I can't wait to rush back and hold my own events again, face to face. And I'm going to try some different hybrid methods while people get a little uh, more comfortable with it. But what do you, what, what should I do or what should others do? What are you doing to, to we can give a safe experience? Well, I, I think it all comes under the, the umbrella term that we use in the industry of duty of care, uh, a meeting mm-hmm. professional. I like that. They are planning and hosting and operating a meeting has a duty of care to the attendee. Um, That duty of care continues to expand. It it began really around uh, letting people know where the fire exits are uh, and where where you meet up outside in case there's an emergency. Um, After um, situations like 911 and then the terrorist attacks over the last recent years, especially the the experience with the Harvest Festival in in Vegas, we now got into duty of care being, what do you do in an active shooter situation? What do we do in a terror situation? And we expanded that. We began to educate. We provided training for professionals who host the meeting, and then they began to educate their attendees when they came in. That duty of care is just going to, it's going to expand to another circle, which is the wellness of the attendee as well. We've, we've done things in the past around wellness. We've, we provided meditation sessions in the morning and, and encourage people to take care of themselves and um, be smart about uh, how they, they treat their body uh, during those conferences. Um, but what we're now gonna be looking at is thinking much more proactively around the wellness, safety, and security all around of the attendee. Um, so there's, there's many initiatives going on, uh, being driven by venues, being driven by hotels, being driven by the airlines who are going to get you there. Um, One of the things that we're really focusing on with the Event Industry Council is how do we aggregate all of those various efforts going on? Because everyone's trying to solve it, but we're all solving it from a narrow vertical perspective. And we need a holistic approach. And governments, because there's a vacuum of 
we haven't identified as an industry the proper way to meet. They're creating their own solutions. So cities, counties, states, federal governments are all coming up with various plans. So the Event Industry Council has a historical um, area called their apex groups. And these apex groups are really uh, very well-staffed um, and verse task forces that bring together experts from across our industry to aggregate and curate content that's out there. So we began doing things like room piracy, um, the Wi-Fi issues, uh, looking at all those sustainability and what they, the Apex Group has been very successful at, and we've now launched an Apex Group focused on the wellness question you asked, is looking at all the disparate efforts and bringing them together, providing a single resource place for people to go to to access that information and then curate it so we get consistency around what those guidelines might be. So we're right in the middle of it. I mean, you can imagine we're, we're only six weeks into the real shutdown. Um, we're now looking to how to come out of it. There is a, a number of great efforts going on to identify ways to meet smartly, uh, meet appropriately, ensure attendee safety, and also very important, ensuring the attendees comfort that they feel okay coming out, whether it's going to a, a concert or a meeting or a big, uh, big trade show. So Apex is really the focus that I'm looking to right now to bring together all these different industry efforts and then be able to curate and aggregate them. And then anyone can go out, whether it's a government, uh, whether it's an attendee or whether it's a meeting professional, find out the best solutions. I have to tell you, Paul, one of the things is I'm sitting here and listening, you know, I'm always trying to do the show and do all the things I have to do, but I'm taken by the conversation. And I just want to say thank you because when I listen to you and how you explain it, it makes me feel great knowing we've got trusted professionals and executives like yourself and so many in the industry who think of the things that we need to have. So like, for instance, the duty of care, it's not new. It's just expanded. And you've already thought through those things and have been thinking through those things. And that just goes to show you there's a lot of great smart people out there working on this. A lot of great smart people taken care of. And they always at the forefront have the customer or the attendee in mind as part of that. And I just want to thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. And it's not just it's really not me. It's, it's a lot of great professionals. Totally. I, I'm blessed. Yeah. Blessed to be part of this industry, blessed to work with so many individuals who are committed to it. And, and like you, I, I had a you know, diverse business background before I got into this role eight years ago. So I, I'm fairly new to the industry. But what struck me coming from financial services and, and business travel and uh, healthcare is this is the first industry I really got involved in where everyone works together. Yeah. The, they, and maybe it again gets back to it's the hospitality industry, but they truly have a perspective of if we work together, the industry will get stronger. If the industry gets stronger, it's going to grow. We'll all get our fair share. So whether it's hoteliers sitting around a table or airlines sitting around a table or venues and destinations, they're all looking at making the industry better, healthier, stronger. And, and then they'll benefit from that in the long term. And that's what really I love about this industry. Dedicated, smart professionals who want to work together to make it better. And this is just another case of them doing that. And then I think the other key side of the duty of care, as I, as I insinuate, it's we have to focus on what 
is right to ensure that safety, security, and wellness, but also to portray to the attendee that we're doing it so there's confidence there. So if you think about security from a risk management terrorist perspective, it was always there. Yeah. One of the things that came out in the last three or four years is you made it more visible. So where we may have had at a conference, a lot of undercover police or um, law security. enforcement. Yeah. You put uniforms on and you put the dog out front um, right. so that the attendee can now say, oh, okay, someone's looking out for me. I feel better about it. They're always there. You're just making it more visible. So some of what we're going to do is just going to be making the wellness that venues and hotels have focused on for years more visible. Uh, they'll, they'll extend what they've done. They're going to take different approaches, but it's also just making sure that the attendee knows it's there. Well, transparency is always good. And speaking of transparency, everyone right now, register for a conference, register for an event, go to, this is where we want to do. We all want to do our part to get America back moving where it needs to be. And I'm telling you, it's good for business too. I'm telling you, every time I go to a convention, every time I go to a meeting, every time I go and meet people, I make money. All right. I make money and that makes me happy. So, hey, we've been talking with Paul uh, Vandevetter. He's the president and CEO of Meeting Professionals International. Paul, thanks so much for being on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. It's been a pleasure. Really enjoy the time. And, you know, just one quick snippet for your, your point you just made. We've done a lot of studies through Meetings Means Business and the Event Industry Council. For every dollar a business spends on a conference and a live event, they get $10 back on the top line and almost $3 back on the bottom line. It's a, it's an oh. incredible, strong investment. People learn, they connect, they do business with you. So thank yeah, you for I've having closed, me. Yeah, you bet. I, I couldn't say, couldn't have said it more. I've closed a lot of business and I'm talking about millions and billions of dollars. Um, and of course, there's a trillion dollar industry. Thanks again, Paul. Appreciate it. Take care. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. And I'll tell you, I learned something from Paul. Duty of care. Duty of care. I never knew what that was, but you know, we always tell people what to do, how to do it, what do we do. We keep note of all the things that we do, but I never had a term around it. You know, we always wake everybody have a great, you know, safe kind of event, but I like duty of care. It's not new, but it's expanding. And I think that's what I learned is uh, now I got a new term to use and I got a new way of emphasizing our duty of care for our customers and our people. So that's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hislett on C-Suite Radio. Don't forget, tell your friends. Thanks. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.